In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know how often um, you really think about uh, last week's passage or the week before that's passage, or even the week before that's passage, when you're here on a Sunday morning. Before I was a priest, I didn't think a lot about that, keeping track of what we had read for weeks prior to this. But I was noticing uh, this week as I was preparing for this sermon that we have been on quite a wild ride in the lectionary. Specifically, our gospel passages have shown us a side of Jesus that we don't normally Well, it's not the side that we imagine whenever we're painting nice, polite pictures of Jesus that hang on our walls in our homes. Jesus' words over the last several weeks have been disruptive. They have created opponents. We have found him calling people hypocrites and fool. Uh, We've heard language that we don't necessarily hear or expect to hear from Jesus. About three weeks ago, we read a passage where Jesus is giving a lesson, a parable, on a rich man who had a year where he had produced much harvest, much produce, enough to share with other people who were in need, and yet chose instead to tear down his barns that had always been sufficiently big and to build bigger ones so that he could hold on to all that he had been blessed with. The story, however, takes a twist when on that very night his life is demanded from him. The following week, we read Jesus teaching the people and the crowds that where their treasure is, there where their heart would be also, and that they needed to be ready at all times, dressed for action with their lamps trimmed because they did not know when the Son of Man would return. And lastly, last week, and perhaps the most disturbing, we read Jesus telling the crowds that he was here to bring fire to the earth. That if they had thought he was here to bring peace, no, he was actually here to bring division. And not just division with the world, but division among families. Father against son, mother against daughter, daughter daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I know, that part makes me laugh too. And then we turn the page. That is all just in one chapter. All of that comes from just Luke chapter 12. And today we have turned the page over to Luke chapter 13. And suddenly we are, we are encountering the nicer, gentler Jesus again. Jesus who is doing miracles and setting people's life right, except the outcome of these miracles is still disruption and the creation of opponents. This week, our story begins with Jesus, and he is in the synagogue, and he is teaching like he has been doing, and on this particular day, it is the Sabbath. And the Israelites were not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Jesus is teaching, he is in the midst of a lesson, and from the side, he sees a woman come in, and this woman is literally bowed over. She cannot stand up straight. She is in such physical pain that she cannot stand up straight. And Jesus cannot let this abide. And so he stops where he is at with all of these people, watching and listening to the things that he says. And he calls the woman over. And as she approaches him, he tells her, you are free from this ailment. 
I love the way that he words that. You are set free from this ailment. The text tells us that she had a spirit that had crippled her for nearly 18 years. Almost two decades. And when she is set free from this crippling spirit, she immediately stands up straight and begins praising God. And us as readers, we are perhaps praising God too. What a wonderful story, only to find out that some people were excited about this, but not everyone who was present was excited. No one was upset that a person had been healed, but some people were upset on what day the woman had been healed. There is a particular leader in the synagogue, and he does not go and confront Jesus directly, but he begins to talk to the crowds, and he begins to say things like, well, there's six other days during the week this could have happened on. Yes, this is a good thing, but technically this is breaking the law. And then Jesus and this man have a confrontation, or what I like to call an opportunity for discovery. It's difficult for us as modern readers as we read a text like this because truthfully you and I don't have something equivalent to how the ancient Israelites would have thought about the Sabbath. We call Sunday our Sabbath, but I'll be honest with you, I work harder on this day than I do on any other day of the week. I work for half as many hours but go home twice as tired on Sunday. And my guess is, because in talking with you at coffee hour and things like that, I hear about the things that you have planned on this day as well. There's soccer tournaments and baseball tournaments. There's events with family and friends. There's all kinds of things that we're doing all the time. In fact, someone called me after service this morning and said, Josh, I need to set an appointment with you. And I said, we're probably going to have to talk by phone because literally my calendar is booked out for two weeks solid. I don't even have time to go to the bathroom. I'm so busy. We live in a society where this is the norm, and anything less is not great. I sometimes feel guilty when people go, Josh, how was your day off? And I, I feel pressure to say, oh, well, it was productive. As if that was the purpose of truly keeping a day of rest, a holy day. So it helps us to understand what this Sabbath thing is actually about. The ancient Israelites received the command to keep the Sabbath holy in the Ten Commandments. They had left Egypt where they had been slaves, and they found themselves on a journey, a great journey, to a promised land that God had promised them, to a place that would be their new home. And on this journey, they received these laws, how they would relate to both God and people. And one of these commands was to keep the Sabbath holy. And so they interpreted that as not doing any kind of work, setting aside this day for rest and for worship. The first reason that they did this was because in their origin story, in the Genesis, the creation poetry that we read in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, even God took time to rest after creating the world. And if God needed rest, maybe you and I need rest too. And that's generally what we talk about when we talk about the Sabbath. But the part that I think that we miss, or sometimes we glaze over, is that it was also supposed to remind them that they were a free people. Remember, they had just left the place where they had been slaves for many years. They had no rest. It was work, and then sleep, and then work, and then sleep. And Pharaoh continued to levy work on top of them more and more, until they really had no strength 
or power to resist. Part of this rigid work schedule was keeping them subservient to the place and to the people that they were slaves to. And the work was so difficult and so hard that sometimes people even died while they were doing it. The Sabbath was a reminder that their value was not found in their ability to produce, but their value was found in their being. That they had been created by a loving God who had created them for the purpose of being loved. That their value was simply that they were a human being that existed and not not that they could produce. This is a relevant message to us today in America. Your value is not found in only your ability to work, but your value is found in who you are. Jesus sees this woman come in, and He sees that she is in pain, and this is likely not the first time that He has seen her, but He cannot allow her to continue to suffer, and so He stops what He is doing. And suddenly, or subtly, the author demonstrates for us that Jesus prioritizes liberation over doctrine. Jesus is in the middle of teaching. He knows the scriptures. He knows what they should and should not do on the Sabbath. And yet he intentionally breaks that expectation to meet this woman where she is at and set her free from the bondage that she has been in for 18 years. Last October, I was at the gym doing a movement that I had done hundreds of times before. And as I stood up, I pulled a muscle in my back And then for four days, I was caught between this painful thing where I couldn't really stand up, but I couldn't really sit down either. I was bowed over. And everything that I did, even thinking about getting up, hurt. And when I finally received some relief from this pain, it's now like eight or nine months beyond this, I still find that sometimes when I turn the wrong way or when I pick up something that's just a little bit too heavy, I feel a reminder of the pain that I was in at that time. This was four days. Now imagine it for 18 years. The truth is, is this this woman had never been able to observe the Sabbath, not in the last 18 years, because her very existence was to work, was to She was literally working against suffering at all times. Notice that Jesus does not say you are healed. Notice that Jesus did not say you are cured. But Jesus says you are set free. And in these words, he is reminiscing or calling us to remember this Exodus story, that this is the work that God actually does in our life. God sets us free from suffering. And I will say this, I've said this many times before, but Scripture is always doing two things for us. It is either calling us to be liberated, or it is calling us to participate in the liberation of others. Every single passage. We just have to listen. I found myself this week asking the same question that I always ask when I'm reading the Bible. And perhaps I've been conditioned by TV shows and movies, but I tried to identify, hey, who's the bad guy here? I don't know if anyone else does that. It's easy to try to identify with the people that we believe are the good guy. It is easy for us to pile on with the others where we clearly go, okay, this person was in the wrong. 
But the more that I have read this passage and spent time with it over the years, the more that I realize that we don't know the psychology of this religious leader. We don't know their motive. We just know their position. It would like, it's like being upset with a librarian for wanting their library to be quiet. This religious leader was simply following the law. They were doing the thing that they were expected to do. And the question I think that I have found myself asking this week, or the revelation that I have come to, is that there are two people in this story crippled. There is a woman who has been crippled physically by a spirit where she cannot, where she cannot unbend herself. But there is also an individual, or perhaps a group of individuals, who are crippled by their interpretation of the law. They are not able to move past it. They are not able to do something new. And as I read this passage this week, I asked myself, how many times have I said something like, but this is the way that we've always done it. This is the way that we've always interpreted this particular passage. And I had to ask myself, how many people over the years have we excluded from the love of God or from the presence of church or from activity in this community because of the way that we have interpreted the scripture, because of the way that it was handed down to us by someone that we loved and trusted. And we just cannot bring ourselves to imagine that God might be at work and doing something new in our community. The question is, what are we crippled by? And what do we need to be set free from? And perhaps at the heart of this, what is the Sabbath actually about? And is it still relevant to us today? And my answer resoundingly is yes. We do need the Sabbath. We need rest because your value is not only in what you can produce, but in who you are and whose you are. And the Sabbath calls us every single day to never take a rest from the work of liberation, from desiring our own liberation and from participating in the liberation of others.